Father, what a privilege it is to be able to come in your presence because of Jesus, because we are clean, because your Son paid the full price for our sins, because we are righteous in your sight because of the righteousness of Christ given to us. Father, we thank you that we can praise you and sing and uh, declare your excellencies together. And I pray, Lord God, as we look into your word, you would use it to encourage us, to help us see things the way you want us to see things, so that you would be greatly glorified in the midst of these troubling times. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't need to um, probably explain to anyone that uh, our nation and much of the world is going through some difficulties right now with this virus. And there's a lot of unsurety about what to do, what might happen. It's a life and death thing for some people. It's very serious. And uh, yet we don't know a lot about what's going on. So there's a lot of unknowns. And if you don't know Christ, that is going to cause difficulty. Because the reality is, uh, when there are things that we're not sure of, we don't know, we want to know those things. We want to be in control of those things. But yet this uh, outbreak shows us that we're not in control, that we're not in control of, of life. We're not in control of death. God is the one who is sovereign over these things. And God is a gracious God who does not cause evil, but he allows it and he turns it for his good. And so today, as we look at this this tragedy of, of difficulty some are going through and the death that has happened and the potential for us, we need to know how to respond as believers in the midst of this time. We of all people should have a different response. But sadly, we can get caught up in all the stuff. You watch the stuff on TV and I'm not saying don't do that. We need to be wise and we need to be informed from the right sources, by the way. Make sure you're listening to that, which is which is right, not trying to bring about fear and those things. But we need to be informed, but also we need to be wise. We need to understand the reality of what's really going on behind the physical sphere. Now, for us as believers, we are tempted at times to be anxious, to be anxious about what might happen. And we shouldn't be anxious. And we're going to see today that the Lord Jesus gives us the truth from his own mouth, in his word, how we can overcome the snare or the the, the terrible taskmaster of worry and anxiety. Because if you are worrying about things right now, I can tell you, you are enslaved. You are ensnared. And much of the world is ensnared by fear right now. But it should not be for us. But yet we still live in these bodies of flesh. And we are still tempted to worry. So how can we overcome that? Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 34 today. Now we come to the specific portion in Matthew which is called the Sermon on the Mount, the part that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And to summarize these chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount is about kingdom righteousness presented by the king which confronts phony righteousness which is really lawlessness. 
You see, the Jews of Jesus' day were sitting in darkness, although they thought they were sitting in the light. They thought they had a relationship with the Lord. But they were sitting in darkness, and a great light, the Lord Jesus in his righteousness, came upon them. And the Lord Jesus is confronting the phony hypocrisy of false righteousness, which is really lawlessness, with the truth of what genuine righteousness looks like. Now, he has pointed out in the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount what true believers look like. The blessed, the blessed, those who are blessed, those who have a relationship with the living God. And he has painted a picture of those who are truly saved. And certainly this would confront the phonies and the unsaved hypocrites. He has also revealed six corrections to Jewish misconceptions concerning his word and within that, unveiling the wickedness of the heart of those who thought they were saved but had not trusted in Jesus. Then in chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, we see, of Matthew, chapter 6 of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus moved from unveiling the wicked heart motives of the unsaved Jews to address the outward religious actions that manifest inward hypocrisy. That's what chapter 6 is basically about. And within that, Jesus then moved to address one's relationship to material things. Indeed, in the passage we're going to see, Jesus confronts or continues to unveil the religious hypocrisy as he points out the location of your treasure reveals where your heart is at. And so the Lord continues to reveal that, moving from our treasure revealing our heart condition to what we think actually revealing our heart condition. So with that in mind, we're going to see how we can overcome the cruel taskmaster of worry and anxiety, especially in light of what we are tempted with these days. If you're not all there, we're in Matthew chapter 6, and I want to read through the passage. It's a very familiar passage to some, but sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. We need to be reminded of these things. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve, and and I'm going to go back one verse for the context, because our passage hinges off this verse. No one can serve two masters, for either they will hate the one and love the other, or will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon's speaking of money. And then our passage, for this reason I say to you, Do not be anxious for your life as to what you should eat or what you should drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? With what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will come, will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Tremendous passage. He begins starting with verse uh, 25. If you look at it, it says, For this reason... But he's been talking earlier. He's been talking and unveiling that where your heart is at is based on certain things that you value. He said in verse 24, No one can serve two masters. For he will either love one or hate the other. He will hold to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, what's the importance of money? Money buys all of those things. It buys the food, the clothing, the shelter, everything you think you need, and God knows that you need. But if you serve money, you can't serve God. You can't serve two masters. You're going to be a slave to one, or you're going to be a slave to the other. And if one is a good master, that's the one you want to be a slave to. So notice he says here, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. Verse 25. As to what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and body, the body more than clothing? He says, do not be anxious. And we'll see this word throughout our passage. The word in the Greek, merim na'o. It comes from the Greek root meradzo. What does that mean? It speaks of dividing into parts, going different directions. And obviously, worry or anxiety at its core has that component to it. It divides our hearts. And here, this word anxious translated here also in other passages of Scripture can be translated care, concern, worry, or anxiety or anxiousness. Now, on a positive note, this word can be used to speak of a biblical concern for those in the body of Christ. Indeed, Paul was talking about Timothy, and he said there was no one else who would be genuinely concerned, not anxious, genuinely concerned for the welfare of the Philippians, Philippians 2.20. That's not worry or anxiety, that's biblical care based on biblical truth and a God who is concerned also. So we are told in our passage, do not be anxious. Now before we look at this passage in more depth, we need to understand, contrary to many people's view and many churches' view, worry is a very destructive sin. It's a very destructive sin. And as we'll see today, at its root is a lack of trust in the Lord God and a doubt of his good character. And thus, it attacks the very core of our relationship with Jesus, which is faith. We were saved by faith in Jesus. We walk by faith in Jesus. And worry attacks the core of that relationship. That's why it's so dangerous. That's why it it, it binds us up so tragically. Now, within that, I think every single one of us listening has experienced the temptation of worry. And much, many of us, if not all of us, have experienced the bondage that worry brings us into. It entangles us, as we saw back in Hebrews chapter 12. It's a lack of faith. Remember in Hebrews 12, they were to set aside the sin that so easily grips us, tightly controls us, entangles us. And that sin in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 is unbelief, which we see throughout the book. 
And with worry, it also carries with it many relatives, many other sins when we give in to that sin. So when, we, when worry is present at its full reality, we are not trusting in the Lord. So it is very difficult for us to then uh, put up the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery missiles. We're not trusting in the Lord. We are now a target for Satan when we are not trusting the Lord. And don't be deceived. Worry does deflate our testimony in the midst of an ungodly world. If you are a believer and all you're talking about is, is in a worried sense about what is going on around us. Now, it's not saying we can't be concerned. That's different. It's not saying we don't need to discuss those things and be prepared for things. I'm not saying that. But if we are genuinely worried and driven from that in our conversations, it deflates our testimony to the world concerning the God whom we serve. So then, when we worry, we are acting just like those who don't trust in Jesus Christ. And the Lord God is gracious because we are all tempted with that. And we all yield at times. If you say you're not tempted to worry, I'd say, well, then you have a pride problem. (laughs) Because we're all tempted to worry, right? Absolutely. But God is a gracious God. He's not zapping us with lightning bolts when we worry. He wants us to understand why we shouldn't worry and tells us not to be anxious. He's gracious, he's kind, he's good, and he looks out for our best interests. And thus, as a loving father would command a son whom he deeply loved, God commands us, do not be anxious. And if you have been caught and entangled and are entangled right now, God has not given up on you. Brothers and sisters, we are continually tempted to worry, but God is good. He wants to make us like Christ. He wants us to stand firm and endure and press forward to Christ's likeness. So if you're caught up in this sin, don't let this passage leave you with a guilt trip because that would be very terrible to walk out of here rather than confessing and trusting Christ but feeling guilty that instead... We need to respond rightly and be set free. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So then Jesus commands us not to be anxious. For this reason I say to you. Now notice what he says, verse 25. For this reason. And then he gives the imperative command, do not be anxious for your life. It is a command from Jesus to his followers, which includes all of us. Do not be anxious. He says, for this reason. Now, what does he mean? For what reason? Well, notice he qualifies at first, going the the, the latter direction. Do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, what you shall drink, what or for your body, what you shall put on. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink, and wear. The basic necessities of life, food and clothing. And at this time, when uh, he was speaking this, the necessities were not as freely available as they are for us. Now, we are seeing a little bit of a concern as we look at the shelves being emptied out of the necessities like bread and things like that. Now, but for us, basically, we've had everything we've needed in this country of blessing, by the way, that God has blessed greatly. But at this time, food and clothing wasn't uh, an easy thing like in our culture today. Indeed, the Jews at this time maybe had one to two sets of clothes alone. They had to work each day to take care of what they needed for their food and their clothing and their shelter. It wasn't as assured. But yet we're starting to get a little sense of that in a very, very small way. So then Jesus says, 
For this reason. Well, what reason is it? The answer comes in what he said before this. And I've mentioned it before. No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate one, verse 24, and love the other, or you will hold to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. For this reason, I say to you. He starts off with the reality that worry is connected to having a divided heart. Worry is connected to serving not the Lord, but serving something else. Anxiety reveals a divided heart, by the way, for us. You cannot serve two masters. Jesus is saying, because no one can serve two masters, you can't serve God and money. Remember, money is what buys food and clothing. Since that, you can't serve God and money at the same time. For this reason, he says, don't be anxious for what you'll wear, for what you'll eat, for what you'll drink. What is that? Money buys that, right? But if you serve money, you can't serve God. You need to trust God to provide that for you. And we'll talk about that. We need to recognize anxiety reveals a divided heart. It reveals a divided heart for this reason. You can't do both things. You can't serve the Lord and be anxious at the same time. He's going to say that basically. You can't do that. If your focus is not on him providing for you and trusting in him, you can't serve him. It's not going to happen. It reveals a divided heart, a divided focus, and it will turn our eyes off of God and his provision. And anxiety divides that focus and reveals that divided heart of ours when we give into it, when we yield to it. The next time you become anxious or are tempted to, you might be, it is wise for you to remember you cannot serve two masters. Something is about to master over you. It is crouching at the door. It wants to control you. Sin. You can't serve two masters, and once you're being controlled by one, you're not going to be controlled by the other. I'll tell you that right now. Remember that when you are tempted to be anxious. Now, we're going to see, as we had read earlier, that God is gracious. He knows that we are tempted. There are many passages concerning this that tells us what we should do when we are anxious, including this passage, and like we heard in Philippians 4, and we'll see in 1 Peter 5, that God loves us. And he tells us what to do when we're tempted in those moments. And it has to do with a right relationship with him, seeing things rightly. So then, anxiety reveals a divided heart, but it also reveals a focus on the temporal. Verse 25 again, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what, as to what you are to... Um, Drink and what you shall drink for your and what excuse me nor for your body what you shall put on is not life more than food and the body and clothing? He's talking about life. You see, if you are anxious for the basics of this life, then you are focused on the temporal. You're focused on one very small part. It's not life. It's not true life. Is not life more than that? I hope it is for you, brothers and sisters. If it isn't, you're already serving another master. You see, life is so much more than that. Is not life more than food for the body and clothing? Yes, it is. The answer is yes, it is more than that. You see, if Jesus was for this life only, we're of all men to be pitied. For the non-believer, this life is all about, thank you, the physical. 
That's all it's about. That's all it's about. Getting stuff done, whatever it might be. Food, drink, whatever it is. It's all about the physical. But for the true believer, this life does not consist simply of the physical sphere. Our life is tied up in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Luke chapter 12. Stay in your place in Matthew. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And notice this passage is parallel. It's similar to what we're seeing today, but with a slightly different edge to it. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said to them, this is Jesus, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, for this reason, notice how it's connected. I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor your body, what you shall put on. For life is more than food and the body than clothing. Life is more than just food and clothing. Now, for the non-believer, that's the way it is. That's the way it is, but not for us. True life does not consist of our possessions in this sphere. It's more than food and clothing. It's more than the physical sphere. True life centers around a relationship with the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. The very word of life, Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 1, I'll read it for you. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld with our hands concerning the word of life. The word of life, that's Jesus. Turn to John chapter 6. John 6. John 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall no longer, shall not hunger He who believes in me shall never thirst. You see, you partake of life like you would bread or or, or whatever it might be, water, by trusting in Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. But I said to you, you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that my Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. You see, God breathed into us physical life. He gave us physical life. 
But yet sin brought death. We were separated from God. And yet, when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we enter into life again. What did Jesus say in his, his prayer in John 17? He said, and this is eternal life, that they may know thee, verse 3, the only true God and Jesus Christ, and the Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. True life at its fullest is a relationship with the living God, having our sins, which cause death and separation, forgiven. So Jesus Christ himself, who is the way, the truth, and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection and the life, John eleven twenty five. He is the one who life is embodied. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, 2, 3, 4. For the true believer, life is so much more than the physical sphere, possessions, food, and clothing. True life is centered around a relationship with the living God, and it's Jesus Christ who is our life. Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on this virus. No. Set your mind on the things above, things above, not the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. What did Paul say in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now, I live in the flesh. I live by faith, which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me so then brothers and sisters jesus says isn't life more than this you're focused on the wrong thing you got a divided heart don't be anxious don't be anxious life is much more than these things life is summarized in a relationship with the living god Folks, we are not to be anxious because anxiety reveals, first of all, a focus on the temporal and a divided heart rather than true life, which is so much more than this. Well, you say, uh, okay, I won't be anxious about food and clothing. I get that. But what about my job? What about my health? What about my family situations? Doesn't say that there, does it? Well, the reality is we're to be anxious for what? Nothing. We heard that earlier. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. And here's the solution. But in everything through prayer and supplication, oh Lord God, I'm concerned about this outbreak. I'm concerned about the virus. I'm concerned for my relatives. I'm concerned for my parents. I'm concerned, oh Lord, I bring it to you. I bring it to you. I'm concerned what to do. I'm not sure, Lord. I bring it to you. And I'm trusting you. And I thank you that you are in control, that you are good. That I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to trust you, Lord God. And the peace of God, he says here, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
It's a real relationship with Jesus where you bring those things before him in the context of thankfulness and, su- and supplication. And God will protect your heart. He promises it. And he says, be anxious for nothing, for there's nothing we should be anxious about. Because God is a good God who hears our prayers, who loves us, who gave his son for us. So let me ask you this. Who do you serve? Do you serve Christ by trusting him and then obeying him? Or do you serve the cruel taskmaster of worry? You can't serve two masters. When you are worrying, you're not serving God. You're serving sin. So do not be anxious. Do not be anxious, God says. So then how can we escape the, the, the tight control that anxiety brings upon us? How can we be delivered? Well, the world would say, take this drug and you're okay. Yeah, that's, that'll take care of it, but it doesn't take care of the reality underneath it. The reality is God tells us what to do. He does address anxiety in his word. He addresses it, and it's in the context of our thinking. So then... What are we to do? First of all, we need to heed and remember the Lord's commands. When you're tempted to be anxious, remember what he says and heed it. He's telling you to not be anxious because if you are, your heart's divided and you're not focused on true life. Don't forget that. First thing. Secondly, recall and learn from Jesus' illustrations. He's going to illustrate it for us. He's so kind. Look at our passage For this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious as for your life, as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 26. Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious for clothing? Observe the lilies of the field. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O man of little faith? There's the much more contrast here, by the way, in the illustration. You're much more valuable. How much more will he do for you than these things that are very obvious, that don't have to do anything to be what they are? You see, it's a good point here. So he says here, look at the birds. Look at how God feeds them and takes care of them. And they are far less valuable than you are. Look at the birds. Now, that's a command. It's not a command to become a bird watcher. If you're a bird watcher, that's great. Enjoy that. But it's not a command to continually, habitually look at birds. It's in a tense that says, look at them, learn the lesson, and move on. Look at the birds. What, what is it that they do? Fix your gaze on them. Look at it. They do not sow. They're not uh, planting seeds in the ground. Neither do they reap. They're not harvesting. They don't gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Look at the illustration of birds. They are not worried about their next meal. And they don't even do anything to get it, basically. Birds don't throw down seed. They don't harvest crops. They don't gather them up, yet God feeds them. Now, he's not saying just just the birds sit around and food falls from heaven. 
Look at the birds. They're pretty studious in their food finding. God has given them instinct and provides food for them. The point is they're not worried about their next meal. They're not worried. They don't even do anything to prepare the food. Yet God provides for them meal by meal. God takes care of the small things of his creation, such as birds. How much more will he take care of you whom he loves? And you are worth so much more. He says, are you, end of verse 26, not worth much more than they? You are so much more valuable than birds. God takes care of them. He takes care of them. Take a look at them. Birds are not created in the image of God. Birds are not redeemed through the blood of Christ. How much more valuable are you? How much more will God take care of you? What a wonderful song. God will take care of you, right? Trust him. Don't worry. Don't worry. What does David say concerning those who have a relationship with God, those who trust him, those who wait patiently for him, those who rest in him? Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of man are established by the Lord. And he delights in his way. When he falls, he shall not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I have been young and now I am old, David says, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. God's going to take care of you. Don't worry about these things. Now we'll see we need to do what God would have us do. We need to obey his word in all the spheres, but we trust him. He'll take care of us. Don't be anxious about food. Life is more than that. Trust in Jesus. Rest in him. Seek him, as we'll see in his righteousness later on this passage. Do that instead. If your focus is on providing and getting the next meal, you're worried about how you can make it, look at the birds. Learn the lesson. Look at them. Learn the lesson. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? You're worth so much, God would send his son to die for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. And again, this isn't a command to stare at birds every day. Look at it and learn the lesson. Learn the lesson. Now, there's one caveat here. Jesus is not saying disobey God and he'll provide. He's not saying that. Part of the means in which God provides is when we step out in obedience to what he has said. You can read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 later on, but Paul makes it clear that those who are unwilling to work are not to eat. They're to be shunned but loved as brothers. They're to listen to the instruction. They're to not be unloving towards others by not working. But David said, I have not seen the righteous forsaking or breaking bread. I was young and now I'm old and I haven't seen that happen. I haven't seen that happen. So learn the lesson. Do not be anxious about what you shall eat or drink. And then notice he says basically that we're not in control of life. Don't be anxious because you can't control a single thing. Look back in chapter 6 verse 27 of Matthew. And which of you, let's think about it, which of you, 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 all the cars out on the internet, which of you, including myself, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? You can't add a bit to your life by being anxious. 
being, you can't, you can't affect the length of your life at all. You're not in control. There's nothing you can do to extend your life. You're in God's hands. You're in God's hands. Oh yes, you can eat well and take Geritol, right? But the point is, you're not sovereign over this life. You are not sovereign over this life. God is. God is sovereign over it. You are not in control over this life. God is. He has appointed our days. Turn to Psalm 139. We should be those sharing these truths with those who are so worried because they don't know the Lord or their eyes have been pulled off of him through their anxiety. Psalm 139, verse 16. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were written, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are thy thoughts towards me, O God, how vast the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. You're valuable. God's thoughts are so vast about you. How precious. He's got all your days numbered. He had them taken care of. He had it figured out way before we started. Which of you, by being anxious, could add a single day? You want to worry about something because something might happen? It's not going to change what happens. It's not going to change the sovereignty of God in your life. Except sin does bring about consequences, by the way, and we'll see that. That's what will change. Now, on a side note, did you notice his great care, his thoughts towards us? They're numerous, numerous. Only if our thoughts towards him were the same when we're tempted to be anxious. So then Jesus makes the obvious extreme point, you have no control over the length of your days, you can't add a single day to your life, nor can you shorten, now, no, wait a second, now, but you can shorten your days, God reveals in his word, by sinning, by the way. You can shorten your days by sinning. Disobey and dishonor your father and mother and you'll live a short life. Scripture talks about that. Take foolish risks, test the Lord, and you might have a short life. The point here is you can't extend your life by worry. Not even a couple inches, not even a cubit. God is in charge. So as he provides for you, trust him. He will provide for you. Don't worry about it. Trust him. If we just learn this lesson, anxiety accomplishes nothing. Nothing except putting you into bondage. It doesn't do anything except harm you. So Jesus says, don't do it. Don't do it. And he gives another illustration here about clothing. Verse 28, back in uh, chapter 6 of of Matthew. And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so raised the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, how much more, how much, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? He moves to anxiety about clothing. The other illustration. These were the key issues of the people of the day. Food and clothing, by the way. Why are you anxious about it? Take a peek at the lilies. They look great. 
And they didn't do anything to look great, right? Look at how they're clothed. Even Solomon in all his glory didn't dress like them. And these are things that grow and then are thrown into the fire. They're not that valuable. They're not that important. How much more is God going to take care of you? Will he not much more do so for you? Don't worry about it. That's his job. His job is to take care of our food and our drink and our clothing. Take care of us, the physical sphere, in the context of real life with him. Real life. And then notice what he says. It's very important. And we need to get this. That anxiety is rooted in a lack of faith. Look at the end. Verse 30. O men of little faith. It's important to see that. That's the core of anxiety. We really don't trust the Lord. Now, we may know him. We may believe all his promises. We believe it. We believe it. We believe it. But we're not trusting in him personally, believing what he has said. If we did, we wouldn't worry. If we did, we would go to him when we are tempted to worry. If we did, we would believe he's going to protect our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus if we cast our cares upon him because he cares for us also. Oh, men of little faith. It's not a compliment if you look in Scripture. Anxiety is rooted in a lack of faith. Lack of faith. You see, biblical faith is centered around Jesus Christ. You see, we were uh, revealed, the, the truth of Christ was revealed to us in the gospel and our need for a Savior, and we trusted in Him, and we, we were saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And we, as we have received Him, so walk in Him. We walk by faith in Jesus Christ. We are sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, But we always should give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit, and faith in the truth. When you worry, it attacks your faith in Jesus Christ. One pastor writes, What a tragic state, a lifestyle characterized by worry, and yet don't many believers live in such a state? Jesus gives us the antidote to such mental angst. Do not be anxious. Right? You're much more valuable than even these things that are taken care of as illustrations. What does God say through Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5? He says, humble yourselves. Anxiety reveals pride too, by the way, on a side note. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. He cares for you. Throw your cares on him. I'm concerned about this situation in our nation. I'm concerned about what to do for my family. I'm concerned about what to do at my work. I'm concerned about the future. Lord, it's in your hands. I'm giving it to you. I'm casting it. The word cast means throw it. Like throwing a saddle on a horse. Cast it on the Lord. Keep casting it over and over and over again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. So we need to realize that anxiety is rooted in a lack of faith. So then how can we escape the snare of anxiety, this, this, terrible, uh, uh, this terrible hold it has on us when we yield to it? First of all, we need to remember and heed our Lord's commands not to be anxious. Remember it. 
and heed it. Secondly, we need to learn. We need to actually learn, but then recall our Lord's illustrations. We are so valuable. He's going to take care of us. And we need to know, thirdly, that anxiety is rooted in a lack of fear. And lastly, notice, we are not to be anxious for tomorrow, right? For tomorrow. We shouldn't be anxious for tomorrow. But instead, we should do something, right? Look at verse 31. Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? With what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, did you notice in the NASB it says, do not be anxious then. Now, I like the NASB translation, but they have woefully mistranslated this. Everywhere else they translate it, therefore. It should be therefore in big letters. The then, you can almost miss it, can't you? Therefore. Therefore, do not be anxious. Because it's a faith issue. Because it's a focus on the temporal. Because you're not sovereign over life. Because you can't serve two masters. Therefore, therefore, do not be anxious about saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we call ourselves? That's anxiety manifest in your words, isn't it? What shall we do? Right? And notice the explanation. 4, verse 32. All these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows you need these things. Gentiles spoke of non-Jews was a colloquialism for non-believers. That's how non-believers live their life, seeking the things of this world, food, clothing, shelter, health, wealth, whatever it might be. They seek those things. Don't be anxious. That's what non-believers do. That's what non-believers do. For your heavenly Father, perfect picture, Father in heaven loves you, takes care of you. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. He loves us. His thoughts towards us are numerous. He knows you need it. He knows exactly what each one of us needs in this difficulty our country's going through. He knows everything. He knows everything. Don't be anxious. Trust Him. Trust Him. He loves you. Yes, we know each day is laden with uncertainty and the potential of future pain and maybe suffering, maybe even death. But don't worry. The Lord's in control. Life is much more than this. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. And now at this point, Jesus gives us another antidote to what to do instead of worrying. And this is important. And here it is, verse 33. But... Instead of worrying about these things like the non-believer, got to get that. When you're worrying, you're like a non-believer, by the way. You claim to know Jesus. You claim to trust Jesus. You worry. You're just like them. Something's, nothing's different. Don't be like them because you have a loving Heavenly Father who loves you so much, and he'll take care of you. Therefore, here it is, but in contrast, but rather, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Notice the contrast. Instead of being anxious, 
seek first his kingdom. The term first means first, before anything else, before worrying. The first thing you should do when you are concerned is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We don't do that. That's why we worry. We don't do that first. First, primarily. The first thing we do, seek first. Continually, habitually is the way it says in the original language. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, what's his kingdom? Remember, Jesus, this book is speaking to the Jews, Matthew, right? And it is a book about the king being presented and revealing his kingdom and his righteousness. Think about Matthew so far. King Jesus has been introduced. He is the king of the Jews. This is the one the scriptures foretold. We see that John the Baptist prepared the way for King Jesus, saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has to do with the king. King Jesus. It is the sphere of King Jesus. Now we know even later, earlier in chapter 6, we are to pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Certainly the Jews would pray for his millennial kingdom to truly come, which he has promised. But it's important. The kingdom is not exclusive to the Jews. We know as in the church that we are heirs of the kingdom. We know that we were delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, Colossians 1.13. And so the kingdom speaks of the sphere and reign of the king. And when we were delivered by faith in Jesus, we were delivered in, into the sphere of King Jesus and the reign of King Jesus. So which kingdom is he speaking of? The millennial kingdom or the sphere of the King Jesus? What is he talking about? Well, if he's saying seek his kingdom now, then it can't be the millennium because we're not in it yet. So it's the sphere of the king now. It's the king, it's Jesus and his reign, his sphere. Seek Jesus right now. Seek the things of the king and his kingdom now. Seek first, first, above all things, seek Christ. Caution, set your mind on the things above, not the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Seek the things where Christ is. Where do we find them? We find them in the scriptures. Renew your mind with the truth of our living Savior who is reigning over all right now and in control of everything. Seek first his kingdom. Seek the realities and truth concerning Jesus Christ. And we find that in the word of God. We find that in the word of God. Do this before everything else. That's what first means. When you tell your child to do this first, you want them to do it right now before anything else, right? Do this before anything else. That's where we get in trouble. We already got a bunch of stuff we've already been doing that we shouldn't be doing. Seek first. I'm going to go to the Word of God and I'm going to look at my king who's reigning over all, who ordained my days, who's going to take care of me, who gave himself for me. Oh, that changes my mindset. Right? Seek first his kingdom above all else. And then notice, we not only seek the truth of our king and the realities of our king, we seek to be like our king. Seek to be like our king. Seek first his kingdom and what? His righteousness. Seek after his righteousness. Don't seek after sin. Worry is sin. 
Seek first after his kingdom and seek to be right in his sight in your practical actions by faith in Jesus Christ manifest in you during these troubling times and all the time. Back earlier in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're not there yet, but I want it. I want to be righteous. I want to be a godly husband. I want to be a godly wife. I want to be a godly, godly child. I want to do the right thing. I fail, Lord. I confess it, but I want to. I want to do the right thing. You're blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I'm not going to repeat my sermon from Matthew 5, 6 about righteousness, but God is righteous. And Christ is righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And his righteousness is manifest in his word. And when we trust in Jesus Christ, we receive his righteousness, practically speaking, but he wants us to function by his righteousness. And it's his word that does us, does that. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, having been fully equipped for every good work. If you seek his righteousness, you're not only seeking Jesus in his word to, to grow in your knowledge of him, you're also seeking to become like him, to allow his word to change your heart and the way you act. We are to be first, continually, habitually seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. What do you seek in times of trouble? What do you seek so many people are just seeking information about this virus. Yes, we need to know some stuff, okay? Seek for, for Jesus first. 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 And then notice, seek him in the midst of these troubles because he's got it under control. Today is enough trouble. So don't be anxious. Look at verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. You're not God. Let God take care of that. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There's enough today for you to be focused on Jesus rather than be focused on next week and next month and next year. Trust Jesus to get you through today. There's enough trouble today for you to be totally needfully dependent on Christ. Don't be adding in all the trouble of the next few millennia, right, in your mind. Tomorrow will care for itself. That's what God says. Each day has enough trouble. Therefore, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. First, seek Jesus and his righteousness. So, brothers and sisters, let's obey this. Let's obey this. Let's remember how to respond to the waves of anxiety that will come upon us. I'll tell you, there's fear-mongering, there's everything going on. Yes, there's a real concern out there for what's going on, I agree. But God is not all of a sudden taken back and worried about the situation. He is sovereign over everything, and he loves us. So how can we escape the snare of anxiety? How can we be delivered from worry? If you don't apply what we've heard today, I would question whether you know the Lord. You're certainly in deep sin if you're not willing to apply it. We need to apply it. Jesus made it clear what we're to do, and he commands us to do so. We need to remember and heed the Lord's command not to be anxious. When you start being anxious, you need to remember he's saying, do not be anxious. Don't forget that. And remember, that reveals a divided heart, or it will divide your heart if you let it go, right? 
Secondly, we need to recall and learn from how he has illustrated his care for us. He loves us. He cares for us. We're much more valuable than the lilies. We're much more valuable uh, than the birds. There we need to recognize it attacks our faith, our core of our relationship with Jesus. That's why it's so, so, so bad. And lastly, don't be anxious, but instead, first, before anything else, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, knowing that he's going to take care of today. Don't worry about tomorrow. He's got enough trouble. Trust the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. What a tremendous encouragement it is. And we fail so often to apply these truths. Help us not to do so. Help us not to fail. Help us to trust you. To remember these things when we are tempted to be anxious. To be those who are trusting you and then manifest a genuine hope in the midst of genuine difficulties. Lord, I pray for this body that we would be different. That we would be those who obey your commands and seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and trust you to provide everything we need. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.